Welcome to HACCP Mentor, where it's all about helping you make your food business compliance easier. Sit back and relax as we get our food safety, HACCP and quality compliance on. Welcome back, everybody, to where we're up to episode three of Off the Menu, which we are focusing on our risk management series. So this week, we're going to be having a look at integrating and adapting the risk management framework. Now, this follows on from our previous episodes where we've looked at the core elements of the risk management framework and also the role of leadership and commitment. Welcome back today, my sidekick, Pete. <laughs> you know, I never get sick and tired of hearing that, right? So yes. You are my sidekick and my circus show. Right. Well, at least it's not a drop kick. Well, we'll see how oh, we go. Amanda. Hello. Yes. Yeah, welcome back. How are you? How have you been? It's been uh, a month. It's been a month since our last episode. So what's been happening in your uh, the world of Peter Holtman? Oh, well, you know, trying to teach young people about how we used to use phones in the old days, you know, how we used <laughs> to pick up, pick up receivers and all that sort of stuff and then have to put it back down. Why would you be doing that, for goodness sakes? No, oh, because I'm old and we like to relive stuff from our past. Right. <laughs> do, you, do you remember when you just like used to get in heaps of trouble because you forgot forgot to put the receiver back on? Absolutely. And the, the phone would be engaged for hours on end. For hours on end, yep, absolutely. And then someone would try and whack you over there with the receiver for leaving <laughs> it off. That's right. I can still hear my mother going off saying, who left the receiver off? Exactly. There you go. Oh, crazy. I was doing a bit of online shopping the other week and I had a thing come up in my Costco account. They're actually selling those old type of phones through Costco at the moment for like $80, which is just ridiculous because remember Telstra used to, which is for our overseas uh, listeners, that's our local telecommunications, they used to provide them for free. Wow, that's true. And now they want 80 bucks for them. What a rip. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's oh, risk in itself isn't it how how so pete Tell well us it's that. it's the it's the the risk of um of uh, pricing yourself out of a market space particularly to the older generation who could sit well, there you... and recall these memories because you know elephants have long memories right amanda so <laughs> are you calling me an elephant <laughs> i'm just i'm just portraying the the image of risk right <laughs> So you haven't seen me for a while, have you? <laughs> anyway, right now, let's get into this uh, integrating and adapting this risk management framework. Very so good. one of the first things we're going to look at is, or I should say the first part of doing this process, is getting to understand the structure and the context of your business. Give me some insights, please. Yeah, so what on earth does it mean when we start talking about structure and context? You know, they're, they're textbook terms that people probably throw around all too often because they're, they're catchy and it makes you sound like an expert and all those sorts of things. But if you're trying to practically implement risk into your business, what we mean by structure is how many layers of management does risk need to percolate its way through in the business. So is it is it a very flat organisation where there's only one or two leaders at the top and then there's a very thin layer of people that do stuff and they're responsible for it? Or is it more a very 
tall, sharp pyramid with lots of hierarchy that uh, decisions and, and, and directions need to filter down through or, or percolate back up through. So that's going to impact the effectiveness of a risk program, let alone how efficient it's going to be to put it in place. So that's what we mean by structure is how is, okay. how is the place configured uh, to, to start with? For those people who are certified to third-party GFSI standards, this is basically starting with that document of your organisation chart. Would that be a good place to start? I think it would be. I think org chart is, is a great way of looking at the organisation and understanding how does it fit, you know, um, where is it going to sit, the like ownership of it in the organisation and then how is it the best way of communicating it throughout the organisation? So if you've got something pictorial in, or uh, graphical in front of you that describes the organisation, that's a great way to help you start planning how you would move this through the organisation. And because, you know, like we always talk about a matrix approach, right? So communication can go up and down in an organisation through managers and supervisors and leaders and all that. But uh, what about side to side? How do people talk, you know, across the same levels and that? And that's where the matrix approach comes in. And, and so you're really concerned about, is there more direct channels going side to side discussion than there is up and down channels? Okay. And so if, if you've got some diagram that helps you understand that, then that's a great place to start planning. So that's looking, for example, like how the packing team relates or interrelates with the production team, yep. who relates to the cleaning team, to yep. the, the receivers team, team, warehousing, all that things stuff like that. Right. Yeah, okay. and so that's that's cross-functional. That's that's going across the business or the lateral movement across the business. And then you've got people that are responsible for, you know, uh, operations on site. And then you've got people that are responsible for sales on site. And then you've got people responsible for finance. And that's more of a, a vertical team. And then how easy is it to talk up and down that channel versus going to one of your mates at Smoko in the warehouse and saying, hey, have you heard that they're going to make us put a risk management program in place? What do you make of it type thing? <laughs> I could just hear that conversation happening. <laughs> exactly. It might, have a, it might have a few more F words thrown in there. <gasps> Goodness me, Peter. <laughs> yes, exactly. Who, who would talk about it in those terms? That's right. Now, how does um, context actually get, come into this then if we're talking about structure? Yeah, context is a really interesting one. And this is talking about what um, what does your business do? So what is where does your business sit in its in the ecosystem that it works with its customers and its suppliers and and, and other offices? Is it, is it just a one little warehouse somewhere that bones out uh, chicken pieces for, for kebab skewers and all that sort of stuff? Or is it a, a big multinational organisation that's a poultry grower and it's got multiple sites? So this is when we start talking about context. How big are we? What's our spread geographically and also through the market? So do we just do one product? Do we do many different types of products? So, you know, I've got customers that make chicken nuggets. They also make chicken patties, but they've also found that their machinery is equally useful for making um, pre-cooked frozen meals for people as well. So it's a different market sector. It's all sort of frozen foods, but one is used for the commercial sector. One is for people uh, you know, ready to eat uh, meals going to home. So 
the risks involved with these products could be completely different, and they usually are different. So Absolutely. when we talk, yeah, so when we talk about context, there's what on earth are we doing in this place, and is it easy to categorize and move product through it? That's our first step then in looking at how we're going to integrate the yeah. framework into our business. Is number one, we have to be across what our structure is and how it goes up and down, side to side, and then mm. we have to have a good understanding of the context in relationship to what we produce, where we sit in the market, what our sales volume is maybe as well. It's also do you, yeah, and it's, it could be things as simple as do we just want to consider our production activities? Do we want to consider our research and development activities? Do we even care if our sales and technical people uh, need to be aware of it? So it's, it's also in that context when you're looking at your organisational chart and the context of the business, the structure and the context is how many people will be involved in it. And usually with a lot of risk management systems, it just gets put into a narrow silo of um, functions and people within the business. Risk can be applied to the whole business. There's there's no limit. It can go to the board all the way down to the guy driving the trucks and delivering it in store. It's, it's a okay. very useful tool. So I suppose the most common way that we're looking at it in the food industry that people listening to this podcast would be used to is the whole risk management against the HACCP framework, H-A-C-C-P, and it normally related to production. Sales don't normally come into it. Distribution obviously will come into it when we're looking at food safety and the risk of food safety being compromised. So I think people will understand it from that side of it, but not from an element of finance, governance, sales, marketing, these other, what are they, silos in our business, which would most likely exist. Yeah, and, and a good risk management system can break down the silo approach, and that's when we talk about that matrix approach, that sideways communication as well as the, uh, the vertical communication. A, a really well-implemented system won't silo people into just thinking, oh, risk is only, only in my small space, which is, you know, do I, do I cover up my... Um, my primary packaging boxes to keep the dust off them, for instance. That's an example of risk. It's also an example of food safety practice as well. So why would I care about whether or not sales are, t- are putting on their uh, their product flyers, the packaging type and those sorts of things? You know, like, why do I care about that? Because I don't have an input into it. A good yeah. risk program will say, I understand that they're trying to, that sales are talking about having a a hygienic, easy-to-use packaging that you can put in the microwave and cook your product in and then remove your product at the end. So, therefore, my responsibility is to keep it hygienic and sanitary and uh, sterile before product goes into it. That's that's how a good risk management system will work through the whole business. Well, where does governance come into all of this? Governance and strategy. Mm which is our kind of our second area that we need to look at when we're integrating or adapting this framework for our own business. Absolutely. So governance and strategy are somewhat interlinked. Governance is how do you run your business uh, in according to the, the right regulations and practices and legislation that, that falls upon your context of your business. So you know, if you're if you're uh, in the food industry, there's a, quite a number of regulations that you need to to follow, and be it uh, customer imposed or, or government imposed. So, 
being good at business means you're doing good governance and good practices as well. Uh, that's, that's one side of it. The strategy is where are we trying to take our business to? Where, where's the next, the next uh, milestone in our business? And is part of that securing our supply chain, securing our customers and securing our production capabilities? And to do that, you would put in a risk management program that says, where are the risks at the beginning, the middle and the end of the process that we need to be concerned about and we need to control? I mean, it's all well and good to have world's best uh, practice in processing systems, but if you've got no raw material coming in because there's an issue with supply chain because some bloody great tanker got stuck in the in the Suez Canal. Suez Canal. That yeah. was a shocker. Yeah, then if that happens and you're standing idle, then then where's the where's the continuity of supply? So a risk management framework would help you consider that and say, well, maybe I won't be buying those dates from Egypt. Maybe I'm going to go and buy them from China instead because there's no uh, limitation to supply there for us. Or maybe we have them as a B supplier because our A supplier is unable to support us. So yeah. that's, that's how you would consider the risk across the business in terms of strategy. When people have to develop their food safety objectives, their cultural objectives, would that fall in line with strategy at a lower level? Yeah, look, this is a really interesting point, and this picks up HR issues that are that are forming these days around what we call strategic workforce planning, which is bringing new people into the business to affect some sort of skill-based change, some paradigm shift in how we do business now. This is where HR should be moving these days by considering workforce planning. And what we mean by that is we don't want to employ in or hire in people that are going to create a risk for us in our production areas, in our warehousing, in our supply chain, in our sales, in our technical areas. And so when we're looking at this, we really want to say, what's the, what's the culture that we've got and what's the inherent risk in the culture? And let me give you a really good example. Customers that are started up as a mum and dad business making you know, um, making jam in their kitchen at home and they did limited runs and no one really minded because no one really got sick and no one really complained. And if they did, where were they complained to? So that was their practice at the time, you know, the cottage industry approach. Well, then that one day they went and presented to Coles and Woolies and they said, yep, I love your product. I want 15 uh, pallets a month from you every month. And so they've gone from making three cases a month to, you know, uh, 30 pallets a month every month for them. So they've had to scale up and they've had to do it really quick. But what's the culture that brought with them? Was it that cottage industry make it at kitchen at home type mentality where it's casual? Or did they really move quickly into where now a a fully fledged food production uh, factory and uh, we need to meet the right conditions? So. Well, that's, that's something that we definitely see all the time and I get lots of calls from people around exactly what you said. I've had a particular customer interested in us supplying to them because they saw our product at the markets, you know, the local growers market or something like that, and now they want this much product So, and they're telling us we need this thing called HACCP. So what have we got to do to get this thing called HACCP? So I'll always go back to them and say, okay, you just need to, to pull back a second and actually think about what you want for your business because when you start going to that next level, it introduces a whole lot of other risks that you're not having applied to you at this point in time. 
Yep. And and even though look, I, I go to the markets and sometimes but the whole cringing when I see certain practices, and and I'm not saying it's not around um, hygiene or anything like that. That's all fine, but I do get a bit antsy about the label declarations that have been made or the lack of labelling on product that have been sold through the markets, and that's just been a bane of my life for a long, long time, especially the word organic. Every time I see, oh, our product's organic, and I just feel like saying to them, well, how did you determine that it's organic? Against what standard? Anyway, that's a divergence there, but it does my head in. absolutely does my head in. I can see why, and, and that's a strategic decision that that business has made is to go organic, right, which, you know, it's um, the, we could sit here and argue all day the benefits of organic or not organic um, if it's if it's determinable and then uh, is it more about marketing than about nutrition and health. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not espousing one direction or another. I just know that there's a lot of arguments around it. But if that business has made that call, to go organic, what was the what was the reason they chose to do that? Where was the governance uh, by the, the owners of the business to say, you know, yep, organic is where we need to be because it aligns up with our vision of our business. And we've spoken about vision a few episodes ago. So if our vision is to be this clean, green food production business, then what do we need to do to get there? And what's going to get in our way? in order to achieve that. And that's where risk is that bit that measures the bit in the middle, which is what's getting in our way. Well, sadly, I don't even think people in that realm are even thinking about it like that. They're just thinking about, look, I've got some space or I've got some land, I've grown some produce, I've now put it into a, you know, canned, uh, sorry, bottled it or made a jam or a relish or, or something like that out of it. And I'm just going to go and flog it at the local market and get some dollars and we'll see how we go. Yeah. And and these are decisions that people are making, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, because a lot of people make decisions with their gut feeling. And a risk system is designed to take that gut feeling out of the process and make you look at things in a factual and logical way, which is what we were talking about last episode is how do you do things logically so that it's clear what decisions and what steps you need to take next. So strategy is a really important part of the whole risk management process because if you haven't done risk management on your strategy, it, it could be leading you to, to ruin or it could be leading you to fortune. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to say. A lot of people, when they think of strategy, they, they talk over the horizon stuff, but they do no planning in the middle toward the the horizon is just one day at a time, the next day, the next day. Yeah. But if you really put good strategy and decision-making and risk management in place, you'll know what your next steps are going to be. You'll know where the next milestone is and you'll be able to measure it when you're coming up to it. And you'll be, get, you're, you'll be arriving at it with confidence versus saying, oh, did I do the right thing? I'm laying awake at, at night, you know, sweating about it. Well, yeah. with a good risk management system, that, might, that may not be happening to you. Just to finish up that bit on strategy, and I'll go back to something I made a comment about before, it's about can we relate strategy to giving an example in the food industry? You have to write food safety objectives. They have to be smart objectives, so achievable, and you've got to report on those objectives through your management review. Is that a a watered-down version of strategy but in the context of food safety? 
Look, I, I guess it is, you know, and uh, in, in the simplest terms, that, that would be a, a look at strategy. That's very true. Because people might say, you know, one of our objectives is, is to have no product recalls in the next 12 months, or it is to reply to customer complaints within you know, one day of receiving them. Yeah, so what you've got there is you've got a strategy and you've got a tactic and you've got a measurable that tells you how you're going towards it then. So uh, the strategy is around having safe safe food uh, that's safe for consumers to eat. That would be your overarching strategy. The tactic is making sure that you've got great production systems and then the tactics that underpin that, uh, having a strong recall system, having a really strong customer complaint system, and then the measurables are no product recalls and customer complaints dealt with in, within a certain period of time. So that one cascades after the, the other. other. Okay, yeah. great. I think that's a good way to sum that up, actually. Okay, so now we want to just touch on, you have been saying it, around this whole, whole accountability. We mm. did look at accountability in the previous episodes where we basically say everybody's responsible for risk management, but are they actually accountable for risk mm. management? Two different things, yes or no? Yes, they're very different because there's people that are responsible for a process. There's people that are accountable for the strategy. So let's say there's people that are responsible for the tactic. There's people that are responsible for the strategy. There's people that will be consulted to help put the tactic and the measurable in place. And then there's people that need to be just informed of the measurable from that, from that risk activity that's occurring. And so that little axiom I just mentioned is what in the industry we call a RACI, R-A-C-I, who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted along the way and who just needs to be informed. Which we've talked about that in a previous episode, yep. that RACI concept. That's it. And so usually one person doesn't do all four and you don't usually have multiples in amongst each of those categories. We like to think that one person is responsible for ensuring that that tactic that supports the strategy is happening. We usually expect that only one person should be accountable for the whole of that strategy because it's just like responsibility. If there's many people responsible, no one's responsible because everyone yeah. points fingers at the other person. And, and so it goes on from there. So there's definitely a, a big difference between being responsible for something and then being accountable to it. Accountable has a lot more weight to it because what you're doing is you're accepting the outcome where you may have had uh, less or no input or influence into the into the measurable. Like it's, it's, it might be your strategy and you might have provided the resources and the training and the equipment and all that to do it. So like a, a financial officer or a, a, a chief operating officer or a CEO, but you actually weren't on the floor making the stuff. There's people down there that are responsible for making sure that safe food is pumped out every hour, every, every day. Okay. When we need to implement this accountability part, how would that be displayed, say, in a business? or documented in a business? Yeah, look, I think the first way and the easiest way people would see it would be a, a quality policy or a food safety policy uh, hanging on a wall somewhere. It could be the vision and mission statement that accompanies it. And uh, you'd see evidence that it's being followed because you'd probably see a HACCP certification or a BRC certification 
or an SQF or, or whoever's certification, all of them hanging on a wall somewhere, which means someone was committed, was accountable to achieving uh, a particular outcome of demonstrating safe food production within this facility. And then there was a whole suite of people that were responsible for delivering certain elements of that food safety program. And then the outcome is hanging on the wall, which is the, the certificate. But what would you see initially would be the, the food safety, the quality, and, the, and maybe the risk policy hanging on a wall somewhere. So from a, an accountability perspective, would this be the need to have position descriptions documented, training implemented? In order for that person to feel assured that the, the strategy and that vision is being carried out, someone would be responsible for conducting training on people and then assessing their skill level in, in performing a particular role and ensuring that someone is doing uh, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly inspections and audits, as, as an example. And so all of these people doing their bits of responsibility down the bottom would feed all of this information back up into some sort of report that would go back to the person that's accountable and say, you know, this month we, we've met all our targets or we've had no customer complaints or we've had no uh, non-conforming product sitting in the warehouse waiting to be reassigned as work in project, uh, uh, work in progress or, uh, or dumped or something like that. So that's how these sorts of things would come together. So yeah, the, the things that underpin accountability are all of these support programs that you're talking about. Okay. So for people who are certified, GFSI, standard certified or something like that, it's sounding like to me that they've already got a good foundation in place if they're certified to being able to achieve this integration or adapting the risk management framework within their business. But is there other things that we want to look at when we're trying to integrate the approach? Well, I, I think you areas? touched on it before, Amanda, which is it's all around the culture, which is systems don't guarantee safe outcomes at the end of the day. People, people generate safe outcomes with the, with the help and support of systems. And, and a lot of people think, oh, just because I put a food safety program in place, everything's going to be great, away we go. It's the actual people that have to apply it day in, day out, all, all shift, every shift. That's where the rubber hits the road. And, and, of course, if you have a really poor culture in the place where there's no accountability, no responsibility, and, um, and no one really cares about uh, the outcomes of safe food or not because the customers don't complain or we give them uh, a refund and business goes on because we haven't been caught, then what's the point of doing anything? So um, a, a food safety culture is really important. So that if you're the guy standing next to another production worker and you see her do something wrong in her part, you're the, you're the kind of guy that's going to tap her on the shoulder and hey, and say, hey, you missed a bit or hey, I just saw what you did. We need to fix that. That's what we talk about, having the responsibility to, to make change and to make things better using a good risk approach. So the, the food safety culture is a huge part of that. Yeah. And how can we go through and then be dynamic with our, our integration approach? Well, what this really talks about is you, you try something, you implement it, and if it's not quite right, not quite working, change it. It didn't quite hit the mark. We didn't quite address the risk. The risk isn't minimised or mitigated or eliminated, and these are terms that you've probably heard in food safety programs anyway. 
if you haven't been able to do one of those three things or even sustain risk sometimes, but we'll leave that alone for another topic. But if you haven't been able to um, mitigate, minimise or eliminate a risk, then the system clearly isn't working. So be a little bit more dynamic in your approach. Change how you go about doing it. Look right. for a different solution. So we've got to be flexible. Yeah. And that can change because systems can change. Just yeah. because you write it once and sit it on the shelf doesn't mean it's going to stay like that for the rest of time. You've got to keep going back and revisiting, I suppose, to see that, yes, it is still being implemented and it's being in implemented effectively uh, with the you know the staff that you're working with at the time. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, dynamic is really, as it says, is being able to pick things up on the fly and being able to correct on the fly and being able to measure the effectiveness of any changes that you're doing quite quickly. And, uh, and, and not be locked into a system or because we wrote that as a critical control point or a process control point, you know, three years ago, we put the system in, it's still one. Well, who said, you know? So what type thing? Maybe, maybe the processing conditions have changed. Maybe you put sterilisation in, into the line, uh, which uh, sterilises products somehow, you know, maybe there's new technology. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. As and when things change, go back and redo your risk assessment. Yeah, okay which, again, that falls into the whole uh, area of review, in you know, internal audit, reviewing your systems, making sure they're still relevant, they're yep. still being implemented, all of that side of it. Righto, well, I think that kind of wraps up this episode then, Pete, on integrating and adapting the risk management framework. Any parting words of wisdom from you? This is easier than we're making it sound. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so don't be confused. Don't, don't be, be confused. confused. There's always help available to, to those who need it. Okay, excellent. That was, that now, was a Harry Potter line. Go find which Harry Potter episode it was out of. Oh, Harry Potter's been on telly again. It so has. Every time I turn the TV on, Harry Potter's on. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you can check out the show notes if there's anything that you would like to just brush up on, have a look. We do do an amended or an adapted our transcript to what we spoke about today. We've also got a link to the full article that Pete wrote on this subject. You can just head over to the Off the Menu podcast on the HACCP Mentor website. With all that said, I think we're done, Pete. Very good. Thanks for your time. We'll see you. Uh, I'm going to come down and visit you, I think, in a couple of weeks. Awesome. And you're going to buy me dinner. <laughs> well, there's a risk assessment right there. Good luck with that. <laughs> or maybe it's just a drinking dinner. I don't know. Let's see how we go. Absolutely. <laughs> Very good. Good job. All see you right. next time. Bye. You've been listening to HACCP Chat with HACCP Mentor. For all your food business, HACCP, quality and food safety compliance tools, check out our website at www.hacapmentor.com. You can also find all the links and resources mentioned in the show notes of this episode. 